Welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Our Father is always speaking many wonderful things to encourage and comfort and stir up. And as David said, today... What, we, what he's laid on our hearts to share is a stirrup thing. And one of the, the many things that I've personally sensed God speaking is the word fight. And this is to do with what Jesus said in, in Matthew 6.23. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. All these things referring to all your needs. Jesus told us to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. This is a crucial time for many nations, including New Zealand. There's an urgency right now uh, for the soul and destiny of our nation and many others is at stake. There really is an intense spiritual battle going on. Because multitudes have fallen prey to spirits of deception that Satan has unleashed in the world. And I think you'd agree, we desperately need spiritual awakening, revival, and healing. And that is why we must fight. We need to pray consistently and persistently and fast if you are medically able to. You know, the church is called a house of prayer for all nations, and the Lord wants to take all of us to new levels of prayer and fasting. You know, God gives us an incredibly powerful promise in 2 Chronicles 7.14, and he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. I long to see New Zealand healed and whole and walking in the full destiny God has for her. You know, a few years ago in a vision, I saw Jesus standing as the Lion of Judah in his glory. And in the vision, I heard this incredibly loud roar. And the blast of Jesus' breath swept across New Zealand like a mighty wind. And then there was this great sweeping in of the unsaved into the kingdom of God. And in one of the similar visions I saw in in another nation, it was actually, we were in Australia, I saw the reason why Jesus roared. Because in this vision, I saw a number of people, many people, um, and they they were on their knees like this. And they were doing 2 Chronicles 7.14. And what God is prophetically saying to his church is, wake up. Rise up and roar. Release the roar of prayer and worship. We, heard, we sang of that holy roar in that one song. And God is wanting a holy roar to rise up to heaven from the new church, from all the churches in Whangarei. Because he's, his eye is on Whangarei and God has incredible purposes. And he wants to bring um, in great salvations to the city. This is the thing, is that your roars will release the roar of the line of Judah over the nations. 
Because God is raising up a global army of prayer warriors to partner in his purposes. And he's after new recruits, especially young people and the children as well. This is the era of the greatest harvest and move of the Spirit ever seen. Prayer will usher it in. Father's heart is the salvation of the nations. Salvation of the nations, as well as the cities. And mission is his passion. And there's a new wave of missions coming, a mass mobilization of an on-fire army that will release the kingdom. And especially the young people. I want to be part of that great army, and you know, us older ones as well, that will release the kingdom wherever, he's, wherever we live. The Bible says the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. One person, our prayers together have the power to, to influence the future destiny of our nation and others. And here are three things to fight for. Fight for our nation, that New Zealand would be a sheep nation, a righteous nation, not a goat nation. Let's ask the Lord to impart to us a persevering spirit like Winston Churchill. He was the Prime Minister of Great Britain during World War II, and when disaster faced Great Britain, this was his response. And I'm afraid I can't speak deeply like Winston. <laughs> we shall defend our island whatever the cost. We shall fight on. We shall fight on. We shall fight on. And he said that five times. What is our policy? It is to wage war with all our might and with all the strength God can give us. What is our aim? Victory, however long and hard the road may be. That's a persevering spirit. Two, fight for salvation and transformation of society in your world, um, among your family. You know, we fight from love because God so loved the world. It grieves his heart to see lost, sick, broken, suffering people. His intention is redemption, restoration, and flourishing. Let's ask him to give us a fighting spirit like William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. And I quote William, while women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison, in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there's a drunkard left, a poor lost girl on the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight, I'll fight to the very end. And three, fight for salvation for, of slaves. You know, throughout the nations, there are multitudes, not only slaves to sin and bondages, but also slaves to fear and hopelessness. And in the 1800s in America, a courageous woman called Harriet Tubman led hundreds of literal slaves to freedom. Let's pray like Harriet prayed. This is what she prayed. I pray to God to make me strong and help me fight. And that's what I've prayed ever since. You know, remember, we fight in the power of the Holy Spirit alone. And one of the things I feel he wants to do today is impart to us a fighting spirit and a fire of persevering prayer. 
And here is our challenge. Will you fight for the kingdom of God to come in New Zealand and the nations of the world? That's a great word. And you'll agree that the world is facing things we've never faced before, not just with COVID, but with all the social changes that are going on. And, and uh, you know, we could talk about that all morning. Uh, welcome to those watching online as well. We're glad you're joining us and we pray that the Lord will bless you. So I want to talk to you about prayer that changes our world because you say, you say, well, how do we fight? You know, what are the weapons of our warfare to fight with? Well, love is a very powerful key, love that blesses our enemies, love that forgives people that offend us. That's powerful. But some of the other weapons are praise and worship and binding and loosing. And prayer is one of the most potent weapons that the Lord has given us to fight with, and it literally changes our world. And right now, there definitely is a global call of the Holy Spirit to the church to pray at a whole new level more than we've ever done before. Because the world's in great need, multitudes are living in darkness, and, uh, and I agree with greater God wants to usher in the greatest harvest history has ever seen, and the keys to that, of course, are prayer and mission. And I've discovered this, that prayer is one of the most powerful uh, activities that God has given his sons and daughters to engage in. But it's also one of the most difficult activities for us to engage in. For example, I've discovered that uh, I can watch television for an hour real easy. But to pray for an hour, that takes discipline and it takes focus. And my flesh will fight me on it, but it just needs to be submitted. Uh, I can read a magazine for half an hour or surf the internet, news sites, whatever, for half an hour. But to read my Bible for half an hour takes discipline, takes focus. You said, well, why is that? Jesus explained why it is. He said to his disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so what you've got to do is recognize that, you know, when you get your resurrection body, you won't have weak flesh anymore. But until that day, you've got a regenerated spirit that wants to do the things that God wants you to do, but your flesh will drag its heels because it still wants to often do things that are just comfortable and easy and indulgent, etc., etc. Speaking of the modern church's lack of prayer, Revivalist Leonard Ravenhill said this, he said, we have many organizers but few agonizers. Many players, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Many fears, few tears, much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many riders, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Those are challenging words and certainly would apply to the Western church right now, although God is changing that through the crises that we are starting to see happen. And see, the thing is that the Lord wants us to be great in prayer, but great prayers are not born. You're just not born again that way. You're made. Great prayers are made. And the Lord doesn't mind us learning. You've got to start somewhere, and our praying doesn't have to be perfectly eloquent. I came across these prayers of children the other day, and I'd just like to read a few to you. This is David, age seven. Dear God, I need a raise in my allowance. Could you have one of your angels tell my father? Thank you, David. This is Debbie, age seven. Dear God, please send a new baby for mummy. The new baby you sent last week cries too much. 
And this is Angela, aged eight. Dear God, this is my prayer. Could you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. And we, we laugh. We laugh because they're just so simplistic. That's just, you know, so childlike. But you know what? That's how Father wants us to be. So you don't have to be intimidated because someone else is a great prayer. And they might know how to pray and pray eloquently and pray for length of time. And, and you know, God, Father, just wants us to figure out, to start, just start. And praying is just sharing your heart with God, like those kids. They were just like, there's no good theology in those prayers, is there? It's just like straight from the heart. And God wants us to speak to him straight from the heart, but we got to start somewhere. And the good news is Jesus taught us where to start. It's in the Bible. Um, one day he was praying and the disciples were listening. And I, I, I think they were so impacted by how they heard him pray, their response when he finished was, Lord, teach us to pray. I think they were saying, we want to pray like you pray. And in Luke 11, verses two to four, he answers them, and this is what he says. He says, well, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, we know in Christendom that's called the Lord's Prayer and millions of Christians through history and alive today have memorized that prayer and are able to recite it. And, and that's a meaningful thing for you to do if you want to do it. But I don't actually think the Lord was teaching us a prayer to recite. I think he was revealing a pattern to follow. And the Lord's Prayer is divided into two distinct parts. And we're going to look at the second part first. The second part of the Lord's Prayer is all about us. You'll see it's about provision. Give us this day our daily bread. It's about purity. Forgive us our sins. And it's about protection. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. And that is because God is a caring father. He wants his kids' needs to be met. Jesus is the good shepherd. He wants to look after us. So a powerful half of the Lord's Prayer is all about you and me having our needs met. Now, daily bread is not just about food. It represents provision. So yeah, it's food, but it's jobs, it's finance, it's housing, it's health, it's relationships. It's all the things that make up daily living. The Lord invites us to ask Him about and ask Him to provide, and He wants to provide. Sometimes quickly, sometimes it takes longer, which tests our faith, but he's the great provider. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. The Lord wants us to ask for purity. You know, sin should not dominate us as believers because we have a Holy Spirit in us when we give our lives to Christ. And the Spirit of God in us wars against that old fleshly nature to increasingly help us walk in purity. And we cooperate with that by frequently saying, Lord, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. If there's anything in me, Lord, show me that I might repent of it, that I might ask forgiveness. And Lord, just don't let me be offended at anyone else because if I'm offended at someone else, it'll block the grace that God is able to impart to me to forgive me and to bless me. Forgiveness of others is a real big deal to the Lord. And then uh, I think it's a very smart thing to pray for protection over our lives. 
that we'll not be led into temptation, that we'd be delivered from the evil one. Pray protection over yourself, your health, your marriage, your relationships, your children, your grandchildren. Praying protection. It's not out of fear that we do that. It's out of wisdom to preempt what the enemy might be scheming to do. And when we pray protection, guess what? God's going to protect us. God's going to assign angels around us. He gives his angels charge over us, the Bible says, to protect us. And so it's a smart thing to pray for protection. And, uh, you know, we've we got a bunch of grandkids growing up, and we are really concerned about what they are starting to be taught in schools. Really concerned. And let me tell you, more is coming, folks, with our current government, legislating very, very uh, corrupting things to be taught to young children. We need to be praying protection and we need to be active and vocal as parents with school boards and saying, no, not on my watch. Anyway, that's a whole nother topic, but we need to be praying. So you see that the second half of the Lord's Prayer is all about you and me getting our needs met by a loving Father in heaven. Um, he's not Father Christmas, by the way. He's Father God. So sometimes when we think we need something and he withholds it, it's only because he's wanting to bring greater good in our lives. And he works all things together for good as we sung in that song. The tragedy of the modern Western church is that we've been mostly, most of us have been stuck in the second half of the Lord's Prayer. So that our prayer lives have been reduced down to simply seeing prayer as a means to get our needs met, which is legitimate and fine, as we've said, but it's only half the story. And if we go to the second part of the Lord's Prayer, the first part, the first part is all about Him. Our Father, hallowed be your name. That's worship. That's worship. We start with worship. You start prayer with worship. You start it with praise. You start it with thanksgiving. It's, it's loving him. It's worshiping him. It's also praying that his name be glorified in the earth, that the name of Jesus be exalted above every other name. It's praying that into being. See, prayer is not a duty. It's a relationship, and great praying flows out of great intimacy with the Lord. And then, this, and then it goes on to talk about, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's war and it's mission because the kingdom of God is the rule of God. And the, and, and the kingdom coming out of heaven upon earth is, is where you get a, a family coming under the rulership of Christ because they've given their lives to Christ and the parents are teaching their children and so the kingdom comes to that household and the rule of God is being outworked there progressively and, and the signs of the kingdom, Paul said, the characteristics of the kingdom are righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Who doesn't want righteousness, peace and joy in our households, our families and our kids and grandkids and the, and the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power so it involves supernatural power and our children should be seeing parents praying supernatural naturally for needs to be met and our children should be seeing God answering supernaturally and you know when, when, when our kids were young and we had a need we included them in the prayer for that need so they could rejoice with us when God answered the prayer and it elevated faith levels to the point my eldest son says dad my default position now any crisis is to pray because that's what you and mum taught us 
See, we set an example to our kids. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth. What does that mean? What is, it means praying for the salvation of loved ones, friends, people you care about. This is a big deal to God. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know about you, but boy, don't you feel like things are accelerating in the world right now? It's just like, it's just picking up. And, and it seems like bad men are going from bad to worse. Wickedness is in your face. Deceptions all around. Don't wanna sound alarmist, but I'm sounding an alarm. But I tell you what, the Bible says when gross darkness covers the earth, that's the time God's gonna arise and shine on his people. Many will come to the rising of that light. And we need to be praying for the salvation of people in our lives because there is a hell and there is a heaven and God, judgment day is going to come. But God doesn't want anyone to be terrified of that day because for believers it's meant to be a prize-giving ceremony but for those who aren't believers it's going to be a day of judgment and punishment well, I don't want the people in my life that I care about to face that so we're praying and I don't care if it takes me decades of prayer before they come to Christ I'll keep praying that's what it means it also means pray that the powers of darkness fall you see behind Evil personalities are evil principalities. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, Paul said. We have to combat the powers of darkness that are pushing uh, corruption of our children and, and false ideas of sexuality and all of that stuff. Do you know, um, tragically, last year, 1.9 million people died of COVID in the world. And that's probably gone up now that we're into a new year. 1.9 million people died and that is tragic. Do you know how many abortions there were last year? 42 million. That's genocide. And I'm not making a judgment on mothers that decide to have abortions. That's between them and God. And yes, aborted babies go to heaven. I believe that with all my heart. But their lives are cut short and it's wrong. And it's a genocide. And there's 42 million people that could have made a difference in the world. There'll be another 42 million this year, or growing. And that ought to concern us, church. That should, that should wake us up. And that's what we need to be praying, that powers of darkness. See, Satan wants to destroy the next generation, and he wants to kill them in the womb, and if he can't kill them there, he wants to defile them as they grow up with all the rubbish that the educators want to put on them about revisionist history and sexuality and this and that and all the rest and evolutionary theory, which is such a lie and now being discredited because but people, it's become an ideological religion. They don't want to be accountable to a living God. You know what I'm saying is true. Well, what do we do? Go out there and do some banners and walk in the streets? No, appeal to heaven. You have power in prayer. I have power in prayer. Many of us are silent in prayer. What will it take to wake us up? To stir us? Praying for the kingdom to come means praying for society to be transformed, spiritual awakening to come. Boy, do we need that. Governments to be righteous. And we're called to seek first the kingdom of God above all else. 
the first part of the Lord's Prayer ought to be the top priority of every believer. And then the second part follows. Didn't Jesus say, if you seek first my kingdom and his righteousness, then all these other things shall be added to you? Didn't he say that? You know, when you make the kingdom your priority, he's just going to quickly answer those other needs that you and I have. Fifty years ago, the president of digital equipment claimed there was no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. Well, there was a young man called Steve Jobs. He was just 21. He had a friend called Steve Wozniak, and they invented the Apple computer, a computer that had shrunk down enough in size to be able to sit on a desktop. And they had a vision that every home in the world would eventually have a computer in it, and they approached two huge technology companies of the time, and they were both laughed, both companies laughed at them and said, no, we're not interested in that. That's ridiculous. Nobody will want a computer in their home. Well, they formed their own company, Apple, Apple Computers. And these computers began to sell like hotcakes. And as the company took off, they quickly realized they would need financial and management help because they're more entrepreneurial, more inventors. And so uh, Steve Jobs approached a man called John Scully, who at the time was managing director of Pepsi-Cola. And Scully turned him down twice. No, I don't want to be part of that. On a third occasion in desperation, Steve Jobs went to see Scully, outlined his vision of people he could foresee a day when every home in the world would have a computer in it. And, but then he said this to John Scully. He said, do you want to spend the rest of your life making sugared water or do you want a chance to change the world? And at that, Scully was beaten and signed on the rest of history. I think I read the other day in New Zealand dollars, um, I think Apple's worth two to three trillion dollars as a company. By the way, this is not a paid advertisement for Apple. I'm just, <laughs> just wanting to clarify that. It's just a good story. Most of us spend our lives making sugared water. You get educated, you get a vocation, you get a job, you get married, you have kids, if that's the way it goes for you, and you accumulate stuff, and your garage gets full of, so full of stuff you can't park your car in it, and, and that's, this happens in Auckland, I'm not sure if it happens here, but it happens down there, and, and we just get stuff, we get sugar water, when God is inviting us to help transform planet Earth. And not only that, He's training you for reigning in a new world that he's going to create. And your level of reward there is dependent on two things. Your, your ability to see kingdom come in your world and the way that you endure adversity. Both those things God will greatly reward on the day that he comes back. The challenge is, can you invest time in kingdom praying? You know, I love spontaneous prayer. That's cool. Um, you can pray anywhere, anytime, gardening, golfing, driving, whatever. You can shoot up a quick prayer to the Lord, and I love that. You can pray anywhere, anytime, and chat to the Lord. That's awesome. But Jesus talked about a type of prayer I call focus prayer. He said, when you, go in, when you pray, go into your bedroom and shut the door. My Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, he wasn't just saying you can only pray in your bedroom, but he was saying you've actually got to get alone with God, shut the world out, and pray. 
So have focused prey. Now that could be your bedroom, it could be your lounge, it could be uh, you love to walk the streets around your neighborhood praying, you might love to go down to the beach and, or the river and you, you and God alone, you're just walking along praying, you might like to go out into the hills or the bush and it's just you, with, you and God and you're praying and, and it's that kind of focused praying. And here's the challenge, can you give the Lord Half an hour a day, focus praying. Or if that's a stretch, could you give them 10 minutes? Focus praying to get on your own with God and pray. Pray at the top of the Lord's Prayer down to the bottom. See, Leonard Ravenhill said the secret of praying is to pray in secret. And I've discovered the more I pray, the more I want to pray. And the less I pray, the less I want to pray. You've got to flex the spiritual muscle of prayer. I mean, I'd love to stand here and say, hey, guys, let's all do an hour of prayer every day. But I realize some of us don't have the spiritual muscle for that. So I'm going to suggest that we start with 10 minutes a day or more focus praying to make a difference. And I know some of you are there already. That's nothing to you. So if my challenge to you is why don't you go beyond where you are? Just take another step, a little bit more fasting, a little bit more praying. Just go beyond, because the world needs you and I to go beyond where we currently are. You say, but David, I pray, and after two minutes, I don't know what to pray. I, I run out of stuff to pray. Well, why don't you pray through the Lord's Prayer? Start with worship. Thank Him, praise Him, open up one of the Psalms, pray it back to the Lord. Um, Put on some worship music, sing along, or just listen to it. Right, that's five minutes right there. And then pray the kingdom comes. Begin to pray for the people in your life that don't know the Lord, your kids, your grandkids, your friends, your, your, your parents, your siblings, whoever, whoever, your cousins, your relatives. Pray for them, pray for them. As I said, if it takes you the rest of your life, just keep praying for them. Eventually, God will answer those prayers and show them love. And if you get opportunity, share with them, but especially pray for them. Wow, that's another five minutes right there, I'm sure. And then you get on to pray for your daily needs and that could be five minutes. And, and, and so before you know it, 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, sometimes even an hour has just gone as you pray through the Lord's Prayer. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will stop you on one thing and the whole time might be just worship. Or the whole time might be just intercession for the kingdom. Or the whole time might be praying that your needs be met. And because it's, this, this is not a law, this is a goal. And by the way, if, we, if, you, if you're challenged about this, I'm not suggesting 10 minutes or more a day as some law uh, that makes us guilty when we don't do it. I'm just saying have a goal. So if you miss a day or two, that's okay. Just do it again the next day. It's a goal, not a law. Otherwise, guilt will get us. I better wrap this up because time's going. This is what the Archbishop of Canterbury says. Without prayer, there will be no renewal of the church, and without renewal of the church, there's very little hope for the world. That's one smart Anglican. This is what the great Baptist, Victorian Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said. Whenever God determines to do a great work, he first sets his children or his people to pray. And the good news is that through the COVID crisis all over the world, God is setting his church to pray like never before. I figure, greater figs, he's up to something. But he needs more recruits. 
And the good news is we're here this morning and you're the recruit, hallelujah, and God is wanting you. Not Uncle Sam, but the Lord wants you to be part of his army to pray. Can you, if you don't already, can you give him 10 minutes a day or more to pray from the top of the Lord's Prayer? Or can you go beyond where you currently are? Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.